Hi, everybody. This is the Funeral Science Podcast, a podcast about funeral science. I'm Ben, and I will be your funeral scientist for today. Just a heads up, this episode features bad pronunciations of words by me. Regular listeners know already that I am terrible at speaking English, which is my native language, so aren't surprised that another language is a challenge for me. If you are new to the show or a native speaker of the language, I'm sorry I can't match the beauty of the language, and I mean no disrespect. Okay, funeral scientists, as winter settles into the upper Midwestern United States, I can't help but be reminded of that one time in 1991, a body was recovered from a glacier located between the Italian and Austrian Alps. Initially thought to be a missing hiker, over the course of five days, the body was extracted and taken to the Institute of Forensic Medicine in Innsbruck Medical University in Austria, where it was determined that the body was not that of a missing hiker, but that of a man who lived over 5,300 years ago during the Copper Age. The man now goes by the name Utsi because of the location he was found, was so well preserved that he has provided us insight into the technology and diet of ancient humans, and maybe even clues to his own violent murder. Utsi is now housed and studied at the South Tyrol Museum of Archaeology in Italy. So how did Uzi become so well preserved? He is an example of natural mummification. Natural mummification is the outcome of environmental conditions as opposed to purposeful application of techniques or chemicals for preservation. Utsi is known as a glacier mummy and is the result of cold temperature. But how does cold cause mummification? As we learned in the Funeral Science Podcast series of episodes on decomposition, temperature affects the speed at which chemical reactions occur. Warmer temperatures speed them up and colder temperatures slow them down. It also affects bacterial activity. Most bacteria prefer warmer environments. So even in Ulitsi's time, the environment where he died was already very cold and would have slowed down the decomposition process significantly anyway. As his body froze, the water in it formed ice crystals. These ice crystals migrated to the surface of his body and the water left his body through the process of sublimation, which is the state of matter change from a solid to a gas without becoming a liquid in between. An example of this you may be familiar with is dry ice. With the absence of heat and water, two key elements in decomposition, Lutzi's remains were left behind to become the most well-preserved ice mummy in the world, enabling him to tell us his story. So what exactly did he tell us? First of all, 
One thing that we have learned was that people during the Copper Age had an omnivorous diet, meaning it consisted of both meat and vegetables. An examination of his stomach revealed that he had a nearly undigested last meal of meat from an ibex, which is a type of mountain goat, and red deer. It also showed cereals from einkorn wheat, which I imagine was his version of Frosted Flakes. We also learned that Utzi was not a healthy person and suffered from several ailments that probably afflicted many people of his time. He was diagnosed with a stomach parasite, he had significant wear and tear on his joints, and had suffered from extensive tooth and gum decay. His lungs are also covered with soot, indicating he spent significant time around open campfires. It was also discovered there is solid evidence that Utzi was not killed by poor health, but rather another human. Initially, it was believed that Utzi simply fell victim to a mountaineering accident and died of exposure to the cold until it was discovered that he suffered two significant injuries at the time of his death, a blow to his head and a wound to his left shoulder. It has been surmised that he was shot in the back. An arrowhead was uncovered in his left shoulder that had severed his left subclavian artery, an artery that branches directly off the aorta. Utzi would have bled to death within minutes, even with the help of modern medical treatments, leading researchers to determine that this was his main cause of death. His body was so well preserved that types of blood clots that occur around such as that appear immediately after and then disappear were still present indicating he did not live through the injury the head injury occurred sometime at or after his death perhaps a final blow his positioning when found face down with the left arm bent across his body supports the idea he was turned over to remove the shaft of an arrow but make no mistake, Utzi was not a hapless victim, and killing others was commonplace in his culture. DNA analysis of his equipment showed the DNA of four other humans, one on his knife, two on a single arrowhead in his pack, and one on the back of his coat. The guess is that he may have killed two people with a single arrowhead, and the blood on his coat was from where he carried an injured friend. Analysis of his femur indicated that he was in his 40s when he died. Now for this episode's listener question. Why do embalming instructors call it ligature and not thread? Let's look at the definition of three terms used in embalming. Ligature, suture, and thread. Ligature is any material, usually thread or wire, used to constrict blood vessels to stop bleeding or bind abnormalities. Suture is any thread used to sew tissues together. Thread is a filamentous material used for sewing and ligating. So how do we properly use these terms? 
when a filamentous material is sitting not in action, it could rightly be called thread, ligature, or suture. However, in embalming, one technique we use to reduce leakage and to secure our arterial tubes during injection is to loop thread around a vessel and tighten it. During this time, the thread should be identified as ligature. Post embalming, we sew up any existing incisions with thread. During this time, the thread is properly called suture. The identification of the filamentous material is based on its use at the time. Much in the same way we might identify the red and white uniform of the baseball team in St. Louis as clothing and then later garbage when we realize what we have. And now for something good that's happening. It's the holiday season, and many of the holidays celebrated by funeral scientists around the world are about giving. Here are some funeral service charities that I have promoted on the show before. The Warsham Organization for Research, Learning, and Development, or WORLD, a 501c3 designed to advance research and development in the funeral industry. Another is the Funeral Boss Nonprofit, an organization that helps mortuary science students lessen the cost of tuition and books, as well as provide at-need assistance to parents who have lost a child. The High Precious Scholarship, promoting mortuary science education, and the Indiana Funeral Education Foundation. If none of these suit you, reach out to your local mortuary college or funeral directors association. Many of them offer scholarships to students you can contribute to. I will provide links to the four I mentioned in the show notes. If you'd like to support the Funeral Science Podcast generate revenue for donation, I get paid one American penny for each anchor ad listened to when an episode is streamed. This holiday season, simply put me on repeat and enjoy hearing me tell the stories over and over and over and over and over or maybe, more appropriate for your mental health, put me on, simply leave the room. Okay, that's it for this episode. Do you have a question for me? You can email me at funeralsciencepodcast at gmail.com with the subject line, podcast question. Are you or someone you know doing something that promotes education, equality, or otherwise raises awareness about an issue in funeral service? Please send me information about it to funeralsciencepodcast at gmail.com with the subject line, a good thing is happening. As a note here, that has an exclamation mark in it, so be sure to include that in your subject line and I will be sure to read it. You can also follow me on social media. I'm Mort Tracker on Instagram. That's M-O-R-T-R-A-Q-R. You can also like the Funeral Science Podcast Facebook page. I've also heard on other podcasts that if you rate and review podcasts you like, it helps them. So if you like this podcast, then please do that wherever you are listening from. All right, everybody. I'll talk to you later.